Welcome to week six of Open Doors. Uh, we have been in a series studying really the book of Acts and what does it look like when God opens doors and what kind of people does God open doors for? And today is along that same line, but we're going to be looking at the life of Paul and the book of, really not the book of, but what he was doing in the city of Ephesus. And it, this is a little bit of a different message today, but it's just, I want to remind you today that open doors do not mean easy sailing. Just because God opens a door doesn't mean that we don't have problems. In fact, open doors, I think, leads to resistance. And we see that in the life of Paul. And we need to arm ourselves and have a mindset that we're ready for resistance. Even when God is moving and doing great things, there will be great resistance. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9 says, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intended to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want you to, I want you to see, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So in the same breath, the Apostle Paul acknowledges an open door and adversaries. Just because you have adversaries today doesn't mean that the door's not open. In fact, it very well could mean the door is open, but doors come with adversaries. But let's talk about the door that Paul had in Ephesus, because it was a glorious moment in the history of the church, and it was a wonderful moment in the history of Paul's work in the body of Christ. What happened in Ephesus was phenomenal. Truly, it was a wide door of effective work. Ephesus was a city of about 250,000 people during Paul's day. It was the third largest city in the empire behind Rome and Alexandria. And it was a city of inestimable importance in a strategic location. Okay, it's in the eastern province of the Roman Empire. And it was the communications hub for all of what was known as Asia or Asia, Asia Minor at the time. The emperor had a college of messengers there. So it's an important city. It was, uh, Paul was in the business of communicating himself and ended up staying longer than he did anywhere else. So Paul stays for about three years in the city of Ephesus and his ministry is booming. Truly a wide door of effective ministry open to him. Now it doesn't start huge. It starts kind of small. All right. Paul begins in Ephesus finding 12 people who are followers of Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. In fact, they may have been in a church like my, maybe you grow up, grew up in. They said, I didn't even know there was a such thing as the Holy Spirit. Paul tells them about the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them. They receive the Spirit, begin to speak in other tongues, and prophesy. It starts with 12, but then, boom, explosive growth. While in Ephesus, Paul gets accepted into the public square. For every day, for two years, Paul rents out a place known as the Hall of Tyrannus. It's a lecture hall in a city square. 
and Paul preached the gospel every day for two years in the hall of Tyrannus. Yes, he had adversaries, but the gospel flourished in those two years. It says that all of Asia Minor heard the gospel at this time, perhaps because it was a communications hub. It was just strategic city. If you remember in the book of Revelation, in the seven churches in chapter one and two, they're all addressed, they're all located actually on the main road out of Ephesus, which was the mother church itself. And so Paul is here in Ephesus communicating the gospel in the hall of Tyrannus, and it leaves from Ephesus and it goes all the way throughout Asia. So, I mean, just a massive door of opportunity. So he has a chance to preach the gospel. But not only that, God is moving in a miraculous way uh, through signs and wonders. Acts 19.11 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. I mean, Ephesus was a dark city. It was the epicenter for witchcraft, magic, and sorcery. And God moved in Ephesus, so much so that in Acts 19, 19, it says, a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. The door of ministry was so open in Ephesus that it even affected the local economy. So it's not just some group of people that met on a Sunday and the city never felt it. No, when God began to move through Paul, the city of Ephesus felt the shaking that was taking place. And it says that there were silversmiths, those who made the uh, idol Artemis, the goddess Artemis, they were threatened by the move of God. And they started a riot because of it. I mean, wouldn't it be something that if a move of God swept through our city, through our state, through our nation, that our economy felt it, like alcohol sales plummet, sites like Pornhub and OnlyFans, these sites have to shut down, or strip clubs and sex traffickers go bankrupt. I mean, we should pray for such things. These industries that make billions of dollars off of evil, and they are evil, it's from the devil. God wants to rescue people out of that, but God was touching Ephesus in such a way that, that the economy was being um, you know, affected by it. And, and just what happened in Ephesus is amazing. The church that was established was still there in the days of John the Revelator, right? We see that the church in Ephesus is, is talked about by Jesus. Remember what Jesus says to him? They weren't perfect, but Jesus tells them, I know how your work and your toil and your patient endurance, that you don't bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who have called themselves apostles and they proved to be false apostles. And you're patiently waiting, bearing up my name. I mean, Ephesus had it going on, y'all. Strong commitment to the gospel. Strong sense of discernment. This was a strong church, and it had a supernatural beginning, and they possessed all the things that we would want to see in a church. I mean, they had it going on. But here is what's amazing to me, is that even though Paul experienced a mighty move of God, Paul experienced an open door. He also experienced many adversaries. Paul had adversaries. The wide door for effective work comes with many adversaries. And here is something that we often forget. We think when God opens up a door of opportunity, that's just going to be rainbows and popsicles from here on out. 
We think, oh, we finally arrived. We think it's just supposed to be smooth sailing. But Paul holds the tension in marvelous fashion. In the same sentence, he talks about an exploding opportunity from heaven. And he also talks the adversaries he is facing. Lest you think today an open door is an easy road, you're mistaken. The easy way is just the way of the world. Some of you started serving God and you're wondering why your life got harder all of a sudden. It's because you're swimming upstream now. You're swimming against the current of your own fleshly desires. Those things that you want, but God says those things are not for you. Things you used to do and your body is screaming at and you say, telling you to, 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 to satisfy your flesh. You know, you, the things that will satisfy you momentarily, but God says, oh, they won't satisfy you eternally and they're not of me. You're swimming against the culture of this world. In America, the majority rules. And that can be a blessing and a curse. When it's a culture that reflects the values that align with God's word, that's a great blessing. But in a culture where they call evil good and good evil, when culture decides what's right is good and that what the Bible calls wicked and evil, that's when you're swimming upstream. That's where we're at right now. You're swimming against the stream of demonic principalities and powers, wicked forces in high places. They used to leave you alone because you were not a threat. But now there seems to be a target on your back. If you think serving the Lord and having an open door is about having everything given to you in a life of ease, then ask the patriarchs of our faith. Ask Noah while everyone else is around and serving themselves and doing as they please. He was righteous before the Lord all by himself. He stood alone. Ask Abraham. God chose him to bless the nations, but Abraham had to wait 25 years before he ever saw a glimpse of the promise. Ask Isaac, who was willing to climb up on the altar and let himself be sacrificed, if that's what the Lord said was, he was to do. Ask Joseph. God gave him great favor and promised him to be a great ruler, but his own family hated him, questioned him. He was sold into slavery, falsely accused of things he didn't do, thrown into a prison, left and forgotten by others. He makes it to the palace one day, but it was a long journey to get there. Ask the children of Israel. He brought them up out of Egypt, and he brings them to the promised land, a good land flowing with milk and honey, a land of promise, but there are giants in the land. He says, the land is yours. The door is open. Now go fight. Grab your sword, grab your shield, and join the fight. I am here today to remind you, don't question if God opened the door or not. If God gave you the job, if God gave you the child, if God gave you the spouse, if God gave you that opportunity, and all of a sudden it's really hard, guess what? You're in good company. Because open doors don't, does not mean it won't get hard. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. There are adversaries when the doors are opened. So what were the adversaries that Paul faced? I want to give you three today, really quickly. Paul faced three different adversaries. He faced people, he faced prison, and he faced powers. The first adversary Paul faced were people. Paul had people problems. You ever had people problems? Paul had some people problems, mainly the Corinthian church. Paul had found in the Corinthian church, and he was their daddy. He was, they were his spiritual children. But while Paul is in Ephesus and the door of effective ministry is open to him at the same time, Paul is being rejected 
and betrayed. The dagger of betrayal pierces his heart while in Ephesus. You see, while Paul is in Ephesus, that means he's away from the city of Corinth. And the church there, while he's away, decide, you know what? We don't really want Paul to be our leader anymore. And they set their sights on other leaders. One of the leaders they set their sights on is the great Apollos. Apollos was a phenomenal speaker. He could argue against anyone and win. He was eloquent. He was bold. He commanded the room when he walked in. And the Corinthians decided that Apollos was more impressive than Paul. Yeah, Paul's a great writer, and he's got some good things to say, but in person, yeah, Paul's not that great. But Apollos, oh, he's shiny, he's nice, he's new, and we want him to be our leader. Paul, we don't want you anymore. We've got Apollos. And then there are other people within the Corinthian church who said, you know what? We want Peter to be our leader. After all, Peter had actually walked with Jesus. Peter was one of the original apostles. Paul never walked with Jesus. In fact, Paul originally persecuted the church. Peter was clearly a better choice, a better leader than Paul. So Paul is abandoned by his own children. The church he bled for, the church he cried for, the church he agonized for, they went with the flavor of the week. That was devastating news for Paul. So you know what he does? He boards a ship and he leaves Ephesus for a moment and he goes to Corinth. He thinks, ah, I can take care of this problem. It's because I'm away. It's because I'm not there that they have forgotten about me. But if they'll see me, if they'll be in my presence, after all, many mighty works and miracles are happening through me. If I go see him face to face, I can fix the problem. He gets to Corinth, but to no avail, he fails. The Corinthians do not want him as their leader. And he runs back to Ephesus with his tail tucked between his legs. And he's hurt. He's been rejected. He's been betrayed. Paul, who has so much power that demons in hell knew his name in Ephesus. Remember, some people tried to cast out demons from a man in Ephesus. And the demon said, well, we know who Jesus is. And we know who Paul is, but who are you? The devils in hell knew Paul and revered him, but his own church rejected him. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're greatly respected at work, but your own household, your own children, your own spouse won't even speak to you. Maybe you started serving God and your own family abandoned you. Maybe you got filled with the Holy Spirit and your old friends and family think you're crazy now. You know, when my mom and dad first started dating, my, my dad's family was in a different denomination. They didn't believe in the Holy Spirit stuff. My mom was a Pentecostal. And my dad was told by his family, don't you come back here. Don't you come back here with that woman. And you're not a part of this family anymore if you join those Pentecostal people. I mean, just, I mean, it, it got better later in life, but they didn't understand. God's moving in my dad's life. He really gets saved for real. And his family says, ah, we don't want nothing to do with that. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've got people problems that hurts. It's betrayal. God's moving in your life. But the movement in your life doesn't stop the problems. Actually, it can create problems. So he's got people problems. Another problem Paul's got is he's got prison problems. Hopefully, 
you don't have that today, but if you do, God can touch you right where you are. Prison problems. Some scholars believe that Paul suffered imprisonment while in Ephesus. Now, there are two imprisonments we know for sure about in the New Testament, one in Rome, one in Caesarea, but there are scholars who believe that there was an imprisonment that happened in Ephesus that was a really, really hard and terrible time for Paul. One of those scholars is a guy named N.T. Wright. And so it's my sermon today, so I'm just going to agree with the scholars that help me best preach my message, okay? That's what we do. So uh, Paul more than likely experienced imprisonment in Ephesus. How, where do they derive this from? They, they, they read from Corinthians, where in 2 Corinthians 1.8, listen to what Paul says. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's talking about Ephesus. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And then in a few chapters later, in chapter four, Paul says this, we were afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. A great, wide, effective door of ministry is happening in Asia. But also what's happening is Paul is abandoned by his friends, by his church. He's, his confidence is sapped coming back from the Corinthians, realizing what's going on in that church there. And then when he gets back, more than likely he faces an imprisonment. Paul goes through a dark night of the soul. Truly, it was the best of times and the worst of times. And we don't know the exact situation, but we know enough from history that it's possible that Paul is speaking all alone from a dark hole in a prison. It's possible that he has nothing to eat because the prison system there is not like what we have today. Rome did not provide prisoners with food to eat and a, and a bed to sleep. If someone like friends or family do not bring Paul food, Paul would have nothing to eat. It's possible he's cold. It's possible he's even sick in a prison. In Philippi, when Paul was put in prison overnight, he sang a few hymns and prayed and miraculously chains came off. Prison doors flung wide open. No doubt Paul is still singing and praying, but this time no chains fall off. This time no prison doors swing open. There's no miraculous deliverance. Why isn't the Lord changing the situation? He's at his wit end, his wit's end. He couldn't really handle anymore. But N.T. Wright and some other scholars believe that it was in this situation, it was in this dark night of the soul that Paul would have written such books as Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, these are some of Paul's most enduring works. Some of his most amazing revelations came from this dungeon. N.T. Wright says this. He says, I think that like a plant in harsh winter, Paul in prison was forced to put his roots down even deeper 
than he had yet gone into the biblical tradition. And deeper again still within that tradition into the meaning of Jesus and his death. The roots slowly found moisture. And from the depth of that dark soil, way below previous consciousness, he drew hope and new possibilities. The fruit of that labor remains to this day near the heart of Christian belief. You see, it was in that deep, dark prison when he sang and he prayed and the chains didn't fall off and the doors opened. It was in that deep, dark prison where he wrote things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was in that prison where he wrote things like, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. All of that came out of that struggle that he experienced. It was in that dark night of the soul where Paul is praying and he's focusing on Jesus and he's going deep into the scriptures and the poems of ancient Israel. And this time there's no explosive breakthroughs on the outside. It's a harsh outside but the breakthrough comes in his soul. He leaves despair and finds hope again. Even when outward situations are not changing, he has peace in the midst of chaos. My friends, if you're in a place today, you're praying, you're shaking yourself like Samson shook himself and found that you, you can't just break through again like you used to. If you're in a dark night of the soul, if, the, if you're in the harshest winter there is no other option than to sink your roots deeper into the word of God and keep, keep digging deep until you find moisture. Keep digging deep until you find something to nourish your soul. This is what Paul did in that prison in Ephesus. And out of that came some of his most enduring works that we've ever seen. Out of that comes scriptures like, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's what brings us to the third adversary of Paul. Paul had people problems. Paul had prison problems. But really, when you get down to it, Paul recognized the enemy of all enemies, powers, the dark forces, Satan himself, the real adversary. He is in a fight with the very powers of hell. You see, the devil's not just going to give up territory easily. Paul had gone into the magic capital of the empire. They were burning their magic books. They were confessing their sins and coming to Christ. He is going into the literal gates of hell. And hell's not just going to give up without a fight. Hell is going to push back. And Paul in Ephesus is learning how to fight a spiritual fight. My dad pastored the crossing for 25 years, and I used to laugh because in all of our membership classes, he would always say the same thing. He would say, you didn't sign up for a cruise ship, but this church is a battleship. You know, I used to think that's really not the greatest sales pitch. You know, that doesn't sound very comforting to sign up for. And, uh, but the truth is, when you decide to follow Jesus, you've joined a kingdom. You've sworn your allegiance and loyalty to a king that has opposition. There is an opposing side. And just even look at the life of Jesus. His life was full of tests, trials, temptations. 
The doors of heaven open. The spirit lands on Jesus. And immediately he's in the wilderness facing Satan. It is, someone needs to hear this today. It is very possible the hell you're walking through is because there's an open door in your life. Please do not think today that open doors leads to a life of ease. No, the open door leads to facing adversaries. This is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Those on a battleship declare we're at war, whereas those on a cruise ship say we're on a vacation. Passengers on a battleship think it's all about God, while passengers on a cruise ship think it's all about me. The battleship mentality is I'm the crew. I'm here to work. I'm here to fight. While the cruise ship mindset says I must be served by the crew. Those in the battleship view God as a faithful general, while those in the cruise ship think God is their entertainment directory. Cruise ships dock during wartime. Battleships set sail during wartime. Paul is in a fight. Paul is in a battle. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus. That's very strange vocabulary. Some think Paul's using a metaphor for the opponents he, were, he was facing and the people were acting like beasts. And it's a metaphor for the Colosseum when people were thrown into the Colosseum and they faced beasts. And that's possible, but I actually think there's more to it. I think Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. You know, in Mark's gospel, when it talks about Jesus going into the wilderness to face the devil, it doesn't just say Jesus faces the devil. It also talks about he was with the wild animals or the wild beasts. What's that all about? Well, the Jewish belief was that in the wilderness, that the wilderness itself was a haunt of demonic principalities who roamed about in dry places. They roam about in the wilderness. Jesus was doing battle against the beasts and the devil himself. And now Paul says he's up against the beasts in Ephesus. He says, I am wrestling against the spiritual powers and wicked high places. I am wrestling. That's an interesting term that he uses, that he's wrestling. I don't know if you've ever wrestled before, but it's probably the most common sport in the Olympic Games during Paul's day. And this is the word he chooses to talk about, about his fight with the enemy. He uses the word wrestling. And here's what I know about wrestling. Wrestling is not battle from afar off, but wrestling is hand-to-hand compound and it's physically demanding and it's tiring. So Paul is saying, I'm in a close, difficult, tiring, hand-to-hand combat with a supernatural being. And if this is Paul's reality, and if this is our reality, how are we going to win this fight? Here's the truth. We only have victory when we fight, not in our strength, but when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. How are we going to win a hand-to-hand combat with an invisible enemy we can't even see who's smarter than me, stronger than me, knows more than me? I'll tell you how. Not by might, not by human wisdom or strength, but by the Spirit of the living God. We're moving into a season of open doors. We're moving into a season where I believe we're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles. But we need to be armed with the right mindset. We need to be armed with the right attitude. Because 
Sometimes when it gets hard, people want to turn back. They want to quit. They want to give up. I want to tell you today, don't give up. Paul didn't give up. Paul let his roots sink deep. Paul engaged in the battle. Paul reconciled with the Corinthians. Open doors also have adversaries. But if we will fight till the end, I'm telling you, we won't regret it. I want to be able to get to the end of life like Paul said. What did he say? He didn't say, well, I had a good vacation. Oh, I had a good opportunity. No, he said, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I want to fight the good fight with you. I want to fight for the opportunities and the doors that God has opened for our church and our city and in our lives. Father, I pray for your people today. Lord, you've opened some doors and with those doors came problems. But every problem is an opportunity to further the kingdom of God. Every problem is an opportunity in disguise. And so Lord, I pray that you would strengthen your people today, arm them with the mindset of they're ready to, to walk through the door no matter what tries to come after them or come at them. Lord, I pray you strengthen them. Help those who have been betrayed by people. Help those, Lord, who are in a dark night of the soul. Help those who are wrestling with the very demonic principalities of hell, themselves. Strengthen them. Let them be strong in the mighty power of God. I pray that they would have the Spirit of God rise up inside of them and they would use the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to defeat the attacks and the schemes of the enemy. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, church, open doors. That's where we are. Listen, October the 1st is a special Sunday. If you can be here, I know many of some of you can't. You're experiencing sickness and things, and I understand that. But if you're able-bodied and you can be here, you need to be here on October the 1st. We're going to have one service that day, the 11 o'clock service. But at 1030 that morning, we're going to gather in front of the new door that God is opening here. And we're going to cut a, rib a ribbon and we're going to all walk into the new lobby space. And we're so excited about the open doors that's happening here at The Crossing in this season. It's a year of that for open doors. So be here October the 1st, one service. Don't miss it as the Lord opens doors for us. We'll see you soon.